Welcome to What's Leadership. I'm Liz Wiltsey. The more I learn about leadership, the more I'm convinced there's not a one-size-fits-all solution. So I am on my own learning journey, and I invite you to join me. Ebony Janice reminds me that being open about my journey is important. Each episode features someone I admire with actionable insight to share. So please join me as I ask, what's leadership? Andrea Glick, LMSW, is a psychotherapist, somatic healer, and sex therapist. Andrea specializes in treating trauma and PTSD for women, survivors, and queer trans folks. Utilizing body-based and feminist therapy practices to help clients come home to themselves. Andrea practices on occupied Lenape territory, colonized as New York City, and can also be found on Instagram at Somatic Witch. Now, Andrea, tell us what's the biggest challenge leaders face at work? Oh, boy. Well, the first thing that came to mind when I read your question is the way that we are still so uncomfortable addressing systems of oppression in the workplace and how restricting it is to not be able to acknowledge the privilege or oppressions that are in the room in the workplace. I've recently become my own boss and business owner, which is great. And I have no employees except for myself and all and my parts, the many parts of myself. <laughs> so it's just me. And one of the reasons why I made that move, even though I love working collectively so much, is that I had worked in a lot of different environments since I was 15 years old, in which there was so many power imbalances that were not addressed. And it's so limiting because you want to be able to fully express yourself. And if the environment is not safe because people have not done the work to acknowledge their privilege or their power that they have, whether it's within capitalism or as a white person or as a cis person or a man or so many different things. I think that it really does create an environment in which we don't feel like we can be our authentic selves. And especially seeing people move up who have more privilege. And that's another way in which we feel like, okay, we can't really, like, what can I even do here? Because I'm not that person. And so in in working environments that I've been in, that there have been more open discussions around oppression and privilege, I do feel like there is more ability for there to be authentic leadership in the sense of people who actually deserve to get the position. (laughs) But that means that there has to be people in power who reflect more marginalized communities. And I don't think that there's any other way to do that work, basically. Yeah. So with that, that's a whole lot. It's yeah, a whole lot. With that, if you were going to give folks a tip to get started, what would it be? In being a leader? In being a leader and like, or addressing, yeah, addressing privilege and, and oppression at work, yeah, any of it. Yeah. For the leader part, I would say figuring out a way to be your authentic self, no matter what that looks like, whether it's like, I'm going to have my side thing and my job that I'm employed at is not going to be the place where I fully dedicate and devote my time because it, it does not allow me to be fully who I am. And that can be for a number of reasons, obviously. And then for addressing privilege and oppression in the workplace, again, the only place I've worked that I feel like did a good job of this, there were working groups. So there were 
working groups for white folks to unlearn white supremacy that happened every week. And then there were working groups for folks of color to support each other through working alongside white people, essentially, and also the multitude of other complexities of that life experience. So I think having that is really important. If you're someone out there who's a manager or is in charge of onboarding and training, having an unlearning white supremacy or discussion around oppression and privilege as being part of that process, um, even if it's a day, it's all so helpful. And yeah, I think we could talk about this for hours, but I do feel like in my experience, that has been the largest barrier that I've seen for myself and for other people as well. Yeah. So what concept, book, talk, program article has been the most impactful for you? Theory has been the most impactful for you. The polyvagal theory in therapy by Deb Dana is my work sacred text. I was doing somatic work for a while before I found that specific book and it really felt like, oh, this is the first book somebody should have handed me about the nervous system. And now looking through that lens at myself, my clients, people on the street, every single moment of every day using that framework is so helpful in understanding why people have the reactions that they have or how, why I have the reactions that I have, why my body responds the way that it does. And it's this, it's this way of being somatically attuned to yourself. So essentially the theory is about learning what your body feels like and what your thoughts are like and what takes you to different places in your nervous system, whether it's fight or flight, which is the more sympathetic response, or collapse and submit, which is the dorsal vagal response, or the safe and connected grounded zone of ventral vagal. And so once you kind of become an expert through this book, and it's for therapists, but anybody can read it, and you become an expert at your own nervous system, and then you can really just start to understand why things feel the way they do or why you have reactions the way that you do. It puts into context so many mental health issues, in my opinion, where you could be diagnosed with something that feels really stigmatizing or really heavy, whereas using this framework, there's a little bit more lightness because there's hope and there's answers for how to move out of these states, whether it's, quote, depression, which is that dorsal place, or anxiety, which is that sympathetic place. So that book has really transformed my personal life and then also my practice as well. And I really haven't worked with anybody or met anybody who didn't read it or hear about it and be like, oh yeah, I get it. It's really intuitive for pretty much everybody. Um, Even though it's about the nervous system, so it sounds like it's going to be science-y. I'm not a science person. (laughs) And it really does click with pretty much everybody right away. Yeah, I can attest to that. I I got it a couple weeks ago when I started looking at some different folks on Instagram and mm-hmm. they recommended it. Yeah. And it is, it is easy for the non-therapists. Like I got a little bit worried yeah. that I was going to need a master's in social work yeah. in, order, yeah. in order to get no, it. Not at all. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's really for everybody for sure. Well, and is there something else in relationship to polyvagal theory that sort of gets that is an easy breakdown for folks who maybe have no in to that like is there a really quick way to kind of describe it definitely yeah so I also really like the polyvagal podcast for this too they talk a lot about this and it's very digestible but just as a quick sort of summing it all up our nervous system has different states and we move through them depending on the patterns of our nervous system which are formed when we're children are formed in really 
significant periods of our life. And the different states are, as I said before, at the top of the polyvagal ladder, which is a nice way to think about it. Top of the ladder, so you're at the top feeling good, is the ventral vagal nerve. And that is this place of connection and groundedness. It's how I'm feeling right now, talking to you. It's how we feel when we're in relationship with others, whether it's with ourselves, nature, a human, an animal, whatever. And then right below that is the sympathetic place, which can be a fight or flight response, but it can also just be being really excited about something. So maybe how you feel before, you know, public speaking, you're seeing someone that you love after a long time, your heart's racing, you're kind of shaking a little bit. So that can be either a place of a survival response or of excitement. And then right below there at the bottom of the ladder is the dorsal vagal. And that is the place of the collapse and submit freeze, play dead survival response. But it can also be how you feel after eating a really, really big dinner where you're just like, I literally can't move and I'm so happy. So these states have kind of like polar, they have, they have sides to them, there's complexity to them. And so people who experience moving through these states really quickly can maybe feel like, oh my, I feel so intensely or like I'm all over the place when it's like, no, the pattern of your nervous system is that you move through states really quickly. What are some regulatory practices you can have in place to repattern your nervous system to go a little slower? Or if someone's like, I feel like I get stuck in dorsal for like a month where I'm just like really depressed. I don't want to do anything. Then there are ways to motivate or get your nervous system out of that place into a more sympathetic place and then you move through that more active place into the grounded ventral vagal. So just this really, really neutral, very easy to digest, very destigmatizing way of thinking about our mental health, but it brings in the body. Whereas like a lot of mental health just completely ignores the physical stuff. The if we can look at the DSM and apply the nervous system to most diagnoses, again, not all of them, but most of them, there's a nervous system response that goes with it, and we've never talked about that in such a large cultural way that I think we are now, but it really does help people feel less like, oh, there's something wrong with me, or I have this diagnosis, or this is just who I am. It's more like, oh, this is just a state that my nervous system is experiencing. It really, really does destigmatize a lot of different diagnoses and feelings that we have. Well, and that then means that there's just more ways to deal with it, right? Exactly, if it's if it's a yeah. nervous system state, yeah. then... Yeah, absolutely. You can do something, right? Yes. So what should I have asked you that I didn't? Oh, what I had for dinner. <laughs> what did you have for dinner? I had such a good dinner. Cooking is one of the ways that I show up for my inner child and I also regulate to, to bring back <laughs> something more serious. When I get home from work, if I'm able to, I listen to a podcast and I cook dinner and it's extremely regulating and it's such a nice way because it's movement. If I don't have time to like go to a movement class and, or I'm just really hungry, cooking is really the way that I, I regulate after work. And I love the New York Times app cooking app for this reason. And I cooked Alison Roman's new pasta recipe. She's amazing. And it's a shallot, jammy, tomatoey anchovy pasta. And it's so delicious. And your nervous system and your body are going to love it. <laughs> Perfect. You're literally the first person who's ever had a recipe here, but now I'm absolutely going to ask people this question. It's going to be great. We have songs people like, we're going to have recipes that people regulate with. It's going to be great. So you have a free resource you want to recommend to folks. Tell us about it. I do. So if you don't want to commit fully to the 
polyvagal theory and therapy book, there's some really wonderful worksheets on the author Deb Dana's website that really help you to get to know your nervous system. I would recommend reading either online or listening to the polyvagal podcast, which is also a free resource, to understand a little bit more about the theory before doing the worksheets. But the worksheets are a large chunk of the book. So if you don't want to commit to the book, you really can take a look at the worksheets and do a lot of them on your own. And they're incredibly helpful to really getting to know and befriend your nervous system. Great. We love, we love free things. Yeah. <laughs> and then one of the questions that I like asking people is what's something that you're grappling with just in your life, in your practice, what have you? Yeah, it's probably not going to come as any surprise, but I'm still finding the balance between working and growing and resting and taking care of my body and having fun. And I feel like I get really good at doing one of those things. My nervous system is really in a pattern of getting up early and going to yoga or it's just like work, 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 work. And I get stuck in these patterns where it's like I'm crushing it in one place and then other things really fall to the side. So the thing that I'm working on is finding the balance between those components of my life. And it really does feel like a full-time job to take care of yourself. And I say that to clients all the time. It's hard to feed yourself and take care of your body because it is. like It's actually not meant to be one person. We're meant to be living in community with people and sharing those responsibilities. And so it does feel like a lot because it is. So I'm really trying to be patient with myself as I figure out what that, what that looks like, especially being my own boss. I can be a really mean boss. So I have to be, <laughs> to be gentle with myself. Wow. I think that is pretty universal, that one right there. So this is a perfect end. Thank you so much for being yeah, with us. Thank you. thank you so much. It's wonderful. Full show notes from this episode and every episode are available at the number four needs.work slash podcast. If you're intrigued by this episode, please subscribe.